Welcome to Tuesday's Book Club, an intimate community of book lovers that want to explore intriguing, controversial, and mind-pulling stories from around the globe. Every show, we bring you thoughts and perspectives that will make you go, hmm. Grab your books and join myself, Nova Lorraine, and my co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato, every two weeks for a new book, That will change your life. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Club. This is Nova Lorraine, and I'm here with my fabulous, beautiful, wonderful co hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Hi, ladies. Hi. Are you guys excited for another episode? We I am. For sure. Yeah. Well, today we're doing the proof of heaven and I'm super, super excited to, to start talking about that. But before, let's just tell our first time listeners a little bit about today, Tuesday's book club. So every two weeks, guys, we explore a new book that we've read and our books are both smart fiction and thought provocative nonfiction. And we usually select books to help our listeners that are on a journey of growth. So we are usually discussing complicated or thought-provoking or intriguing or mysterious topics through fictional, non-fictional characters. And we want you guys to join in. We want you to follow along. So definitely take out a pen and paper, your smartphone, whatever you're using to jot down the next two books that we'll be exploring on Tuesday's Book Club. Those next two books are The First 100 Years by the Delaney Sisters, and the authors are Amy Hill Hearth, Annie Elizabeth Delaney, and Sarah Louise Delaney. Again, The First 100 Years by the Delaney Sisters. We also have Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. And both of those books are extremely different from each other, but you're going to love both of them. And we want you to join in on the conversation with us. So you're going to follow us on Pink Kangaroo, on Instagram, DM us there. Any questions you have, any books or topics you want us to explore. So definitely stay in touch with us and keep up with us for each and every show. So for today's show, as I mentioned, we are going to talk about Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife by Eben Alexander, MD. The Proof of Heaven reached the top 10 list in the USA Today's 150 top selling titles. It has also been number one on the New York Times bestselling paperback nonfiction books list, number three on the LA Times bestseller and an Amazon bestseller. And as you can see, Proof of Heaven has been a very, very popular book and also controversial. So let's read what the publisher has to say about the book. This is a scientist case for the afterlife. Thousands of people have had near-death experiences, but scientists have argued that they are impossible. Dr. Eben Alexander was one of those scientists. A highly trained neurosurgeon, Alexander knew that NDEs feel real, but are simply fantasies produced by brains under extreme stress. Then, Dr. Alexander's own brain was attacked by a rare illness, the part of the brain that controls thought and emotion, and in essence makes us human. 
shut down completely. For seven days, he lay in a coma. Then, as his doctors considered stopping treatment, Alexander's eyes popped open. He had come back. Alexander's recovery is a medical miracle, but the real miracle of his story lies elsewhere. While his body lay in coma, Alexander journeyed beyond this world and encountered an angelic being who guided him into the deepest realms of super physical existence. There he met and spoke with the divine source of the universe itself. Alexander's story is not a fantasy. Before he underwent his journey, he could not reconcile his knowledge of neuroscience with any belief in heaven, God, or the soul. Today, Alexander is a doctor who believes that true health can be achieved only when we realize that God and the soul are real, and that death is not the end of personal existence, but only a transition. This story would be remarkable no matter who it happened to. That it happened to Dr. Alexander makes it revolutionary. No scientist or person of faith will be able to ignore it. Read it, it will change your life. So that is what the publisher has described the book to be. I'm really anxious to jump in to hear what you guys think about the book. So who wants to go first? And again, listeners, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about things from beginning to end of the book. So, but it doesn't, it should not stop you from reading these books. They're amazing. So, okay, Toby, Barbara, jump in. What do you think? I think the biggest thing for me, and spoiler alert number one, was <laughs> that after he, when he was getting better, how quickly, one, he was able to get better. And then two, the fact that he was even, I mean, the fact that he's able to write books coming out of what supposedly had one of the highest mortality rates for an, any type of infectious disease at the time for him to not just, and then also be in a coma for as long as he was for over five days and then come back. And not only is he able to, to talk and he's still very high functioning, he's still able to remember things. It's just that to me was, it, that just blew me away. Yeah. I too was very impressed by the fact that he beat all odds. Mm-hmm. I mean, his survival is a miracle in and of itself, regardless of what his story is and what he experienced while he was in that coma. Just the fact, like you said, just the fact that he survived a rear meningitis disease and to be fully functional, not partially, not paralyzed, not a vegetable as was predicted, but fully functional and then some. So yeah, that was something that struck me as well. What, what do you think, Toby? I mean, I think I think it was that he had a combination of like meningitis and E. coli or some weird combination that was even more insane. Yeah. I definitely think that if we believe in omens and we go back to the alchemist when we, our first book and how things show up for you, I mean, certainly if there's a higher power, he'd be the perfect person to pick because if you pick a, you know, a religious zealot that has this experience, it it probably isn't as significant to a normal person or a non-believer, but for him Mm -hmm. to come back, yeah, for sure. He, he was the perfect person. If you were going to pick someone that would have a compelling story. So I I definitely think that, I don't know how I feel about it, but I know that even for me, it's much more of value for someone like that to share his story than for someone else. So yeah. No, I agree. You have a neurosurgeon, someone who's been doing research and surgery on the brain (laughs) for over two decades, working for some of the top hospitals in the world, including Harvard. 
and not really a religious person. I mean, he called himself, what was it? A uh, CNE, I think. Uh, Christmas and Easter. Christmas or something like that. Like, no, it would always get, you know, like a lot of people on the major holidays. So he wasn't over relig- overly religious. He wasn't a, like a, someone that was preaching about God and soul and all these things. He was a scientist. Like that was what he did. That's what he had a passion for. And yeah, touching on that point where if there is, was going to be someone selected to tell a story, and we know there are many stories about near-death experiences, but to, to have someone with his background, his specialization, his personal history on faith, be the one to say, oh, all right, stop everything. This is what it's really like. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he could have just came out of his coma and just went about his life and like, okay, great, I'm alive and just gone about his life. And, but he decided to create a platform to talk about near-death experiences. And yeah, if I heard a neuroscientist tell me this, especially someone from Harvard, I would stop and, and I would stop and listen, even if I never believed in NDEs or heard of them before. Well, he never believed in them, really. No. That's the irony. He didn't only share about it. He, he was a skeptic. So it had to, he had to be convinced himself. Man. Yeah, didn't he? Uh, I think in the book he had talked about one instance where he was listening to one of his patients talk about a yeah. NDE, and he kind of was like, <laughs> he kind of brushed it off. He was like half yeah. listening, half not, because he just was a skeptic. He just didn't believe it. Yeah, which is really so, interesting. Yeah, it, it just—it's funny to me how he talked about his background, talked about like he was very, very detailed in his experiences as a neurosurgeon. His dad is a neurosurgeon like this is. And then he talked about he lived in reality. Like he made everyone, you know, he gave examples. I live in reality. I am all about what I can see and what I can feel. So for this to happen to him and for him. And so that's why I think for him to be so like, he's so resolute. In, in what he believes, because he, that to me kind of, it was like, it was profound how resolute he was, how like you guys have to believe what I'm saying, because I, it's just for me, this should not, coming from me, this should, this is not, this should not be real. I mean, he even talks about what, what is reality. Right. Mm. You no, know, that yeah. just reminded me of one of our previous books, The Mutant Messenger, where yeah. a female doctor travels to Australia to help these teenagers and thinks she's going to accept an award <laughs> across town, but then is taken on a three month, right? Four month, mm-hmm. actually, four month walkabout through the desert in Australia and comes back to the West to tell this incredible story that some people feel may have been made up as well. And so again, when you think you have to pay attention, if it's this doctor who had this regular life and had no sort of, what are the intentions? What is she going to benefit from going all the way to Australia, coming back to tell this overly fabricated story? I mean, it takes a pretty mentally unstable person to put that all together and pull it off. To the, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so yeah. yeah, you have to, I love the statement you brought up. Um, what is reality? And him being so resolute, this is his truth. Right. So then it's up to us to say, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, um, yeah, no, go ahead. No, I like how he like he mentions he said when he was in the coma, his brain had no function. So he couldn't like dream, I guess per se. He couldn't really there was his subconscious just wasn't there. But yet 
all the things that he was experiencing felt like he was awake. How, you know, how was that possible? It was a question that, I mean, I'm sure some people ask like, like, like uh, that was a question for him. Like, how is that possible for it's factual that my brain, there was no functions there, very limited function. I had nothing going on up there, but yet all of these things, I can remember all of these things like they happened yesterday. And they're clear. And they're very clear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The detail is incredible, which brings me to one of the themes that we can explore even further is fact or fiction. Was this a dream? Like how he's extremely detailed from the very beginning of the story where the case is built for his credibility, right? There was a lot of time spent on describing his background and how many papers he wrote and how many talks he gave and how many years he was at each of these hospitals and blah, 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 blah. It wasn't just like, oh, he's a neurosurgeon, neurosurgeon. Oh, he had this accident. I mean, there was a good amount of time expressing his background in science and mind surgeries, all these things. And the detail that is told in terms of the descriptions, the incredible visual descriptions that he gives during this time period is amazing. And to, and I don't know, I, I'm thinking, does a neurosurgeon have better things to do than sit down and write this sort of colorful story? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying about flying on clouds? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm more of the skeptical side, but one thing that struck me that, that, cause it's, I'm hard, it's hard for me to swallow it. Right. So, but in the book, actually towards the end, he talks about how it's not going somewhere else so much as it's another dimension, which for some reason resonated with me. If it was possible, it wouldn't be that we're, we're taking up a different piece of space. It's literally Mm -hmm. like a different dimension in the same space, Mm. which for me not that I, you know, I didn't like, oh, wow, okay, I get it. You know, it wasn't like that, but I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I can get that a little bit more that there's such a vastness and we can't conceptualize of the vastness that exists. But in right. that vastness, there's also dimensions, right? It's like time travel, right? If, if we look right. at it like, like a, spec, a pendulum of time travel or a pendulum of dimensions, then it, then it, to me, at least I can conceptualize the space that he's referencing, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I can say that I had a very unexplainable experience. And at the time, I didn't know how to describe it or what it was. And then over time, as I would hear other people talking about similar experiences, and I was like, oh, maybe that's what I had. But when I was in labor with my first son and the monitor that they connect you to to measure the intensity of the contractions, the spike went off the monitor. Like it kept increasing until it couldn't go anymore, at least on the screen. And when I was laying in that bed without any medication and I had to wait through the night, it was my first. And the doctor said, I'll come back in the morning. (laughs) And this was like 10 o'clock at night. And he might as well have said, I'll be back in two years. Okay. That's what he might as well have said. And I literally thought I was dying. I mean, when, before we even got a room, when a contraction would come, I literally would drop to the floor. My husband was next to me. So he was able to catch me before I like literally like fell down. And so as this pain is going, the chart is, or the, the measurements are going off the monitor. I then remember being above my body from an angle, looking at myself and my husband looking at the monitor. And but at that moment, it was just like, oh, and I'm just like hanging out. 
And it was like time did not exist. There was no pain. There was no sense of time. And literally maybe a minute or two before seven, I remember the experience of coming back into my body, looking at the clock and saying, oh, the doctor should be in at any moment. But between whatever time it was, 11 p.m. or whatever-ish and 7 a.m., I felt nothing, okay? And so what was that? And so I later, after hearing other people's experiences, oh, I must have had an out-of-body experience. Here I am going through the entire night. I did not fall asleep. My husband was standing, I mean, sitting next to me, holding my hand and kind of helping me breathe or whatever. And I didn't feel any pain for all those hours. And just before the doctor walks in, I look at the clock and say, oh, he's supposed to come in. So I don't know. Was it a dream? Was it not? I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know if anyone could fall asleep during a contraction. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. Not me. (laughs) So that's my little mystical experience. So I do think that someone's truth is their truth. Can you prove it? Dream. But I I love how you equate it to this other dimension, Toby. Yeah. Um, When we dream, that's sort of what it's sort of called, right? We're going into another dimension. But this was very, very real for him. Yeah, really. Yeah, I don't know. When I think about what he experienced in the book, um, and then one thing too, he was very full disclosure. He went through a period of feeling of uselessness, of not feeling wanted because his uh, biological family, he felt that his biological family didn't want to see him and didn't need him. And he said he went through a good 10 years of concerning behavior with his adopt. He just, just, it just, it sounded like he really felt like, what, why am I here? Like, what Mm -hmm. am I, why am I going through this? He was like going through the motions of life and kind of was coasting. It it seemed like, but also exhibiting Mm -hmm. like not the best behavior Mm -hmm. um, to where it also concerned his family. And until he was finally able to reconnect with his biological family and realized that they were going through their own sadness that they probably didn't want to connect them being with him with the loss of their of their daughter and um, I think once he realized that that situation I think he was like oh wait I was loved and that really changed him and I think that also helped him knowing Mm -hmm. how how loved he was by so many different people in spite of himself (laughs) in spite of his own insecurities it's incredible for to be insecure and be that successful. Oh. That just shows you that how you define yourself is just so individualized. Exactly. You know, it's so it's 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 crazy for him, like for, in the situation that he was in, where even his sisters talked about would he do this for us when he was in the coma? Mm. Right. Right. You know, I, I love how his sister was sitting by him, holding his hand and saying that you have someone to come back to, like you. you there's that we're here for you on this side. And I love the, also the comment you mentioned about love. It makes me think about the book we just read, Chanel, and how successful mm-hmm. she was. So successful. You know, going back to Toby's comment as well. And, and how she never really found that true love after her first love had died. And was she just going through the motions? And how much love impacts us and inspires us. So yeah. that, that's really, that to me allows a really good transition for the next theme of interconnectivity, yes. which is in so many ways is presented throughout the book. His son being that guiding light for him, so to speak, and coming back. Like he knew there would be 
that his son would never recover if he died. And that was his motivation for fighting to come back. Well, he had two sons. And what I thought was really interesting was it was like a kind of a, like a flip, but like the value he put in his sons was incredible. Because if you remember, spoiler alert, that when he comes back and he shares his story of this near-death experience with his older son, who's, I believe he's in college, his, yeah. son, yes. is the, his son is the one that gives him the wisdom because he's like, I want to share this. And, and he said to him, listen, write everything down before you even look up anybody else's experiences so that it's absolutely 100% just mm-hmm. yours. And he mm-hmm. took him to heart, like here, here's this, here's this respect for his son. And he was, he was like, I'm going to do that. And I did respect that again. I don't know specifically how much I feel about the final situation, but what I do think was smart and, and that he did it and he listened to his, his son was that he wrote everything down before he started doing research. And he did do a lot of research after he wrote his story down, but to think that he got that you know, guidance from his child. It's just so neat because we, we all, all of us have children. You guys each have four. I've got two and a hundred other I love on. <laughs> and I mean, it's neat to see when it goes full circle. We're there for them. They're there for us. And we got to see that in the book through his, his journey. Like I feel like was hugely impacted on that one conversation he had with his son. I, I agree. I think his son had the foresight, you know what I mean? Yeah. To say, you know what, dad? Do make it raw. As it's got to be, it's got to be every like whatever you feel, whatever you went through, whatever you experienced. Tell no one. Don't let anybody influence you. Yeah. It, I, honestly, that's probably the best advice his son gave him in regards to this. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which is crazy yeah, that because was- like his son is following in his dad's footsteps. His right. dad is some. It's his mentor. His dad was. He idolized his own father to the point where he wants to be a neurosurgeon like his father, like his grandfather. Like I found that amazing that his son had that so much wisdom in him to be able to say that to his dad and his dad, like you said, respected him so much. That he yeah. yeah. I like that. I don't know if it's because I just thought my kids are now uh, 22. Are they 22? You know, you forget how old your kids are. I've got one that just turned 25. I don't know. 22 and 25, I think, or are they 20? and 20. Wow, this is embarrassing. Whatever they are, don't tell my husband because <laughs> I get mad when he can't remember their birthday. Um, it, I am starting to feel like we rely on each other more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I saw that happen in the book, I was like, wow, it's just so neat. That's I really do. cool. Yeah. And I one know. of the things I loved was like we uh, it, about interconnectivity with his family. When I had brought up his sisters, when they were like, well, they're holding his hand, they're staying with him side by side, they're taking turns. And they asked that question. But what I loved about that was that they loved him unconditionally. They loved him without any... What, what am I going to get back? It, yeah. I mean, the, the love that his family had for him, it, it kind of, re- like I think about sometimes like with, with, in our experiences in my family, with my brothers and sisters, crazy things that we've dodged in our lives, you know, where accidents and we get super sick or something. And um, like, I remember my brother had got into a really bad accident and the car literally was completely squished except where he was sitting. You know, both of his legs, but like that, I think he ended up with a gash in his head, but that was it. Like he, 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 his life was saved. Like it was like somebody had encased him in a cocoon. And I will never forget when the, uh, the doctor said to my mom, he is loved. Like somebody's praying on him. Somebody is praying on him. And let me tell you, it's whenever something happens with our, with my brothers and sisters, 
that's like the ongoing thing. They're like, somebody's praying on it. That must be your mom. Your mom must be praying for you. Oh, that's you know? cute. And yeah, yeah. So it's like, and we always, we believe it now. We're like, if it's not for mommy. And so like, when we really <laughs> want something, we'll be like, mom, pray. <laughs> but, um, and that's, I feel that that's what with, with his family. His family yeah. was But like, you know what was incredible, like on a negative note on that is he was so lucky and so loved by so many people yes. and, and how dare he and so successful. And you know, how many people struggle and for him, like it just shows you that you can have a lot going on, but you're in charge of your own happiness because he really sat for a long time unhappy, not realizing how good he had it. Like, and, 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 and he didn't really even realize it until like he had this near death experience, right? Because they literally never left his side. And never. If, wow, like never. No. He was never alone. And and I mean, I think he was very blessed. And it oh, you can't get time back, but I mean, it just to me like almost like almost snickered a little bit, like, dude, you're you're a really lucky guy. <laughs> no, I wonder if he thought about that. Like he like he really was deep in a hole of despair. Yeah, for I know so long because he felt like his biological family didn't want him. And then he's telling the story about he, how he's in a coma and his sisters refused to, his adopted sisters will refuse to leave his side. They were not allowed to speak any negativity in the room. I know that was cool. Betsy, and they were just, they were willing him to come back. They like, they literally willed him mm. to come back. Mm. You know, they, they were not playing. This was their brother. This was their life. Yeah. Um, yeah. They left everything. Like they, it's like, like the older sister, uh, she just stopped everything and was like, Jean, I'm coming. I'm, I'm coming over. Just, That's right. Everything stopped. Phyllis was on her way somewhere, turned around. So like yeah. They were not playing. This was their, this was their, he was their everything to them. You're yeah, amazing. I mean, putting aside the near death experience, even just looking at this story about the power of love and family and will, right? Yeah. So putting him aside as the patient, but for those that are going through a situation where there's a loved one that's ill, giving them hope, just saying, mm-hmm. look, your love, your will, your connectedness can be all that you need, right? And to never give up, to not, I mean, as we said in the beginning of the show, like he had every reason not to make it. Every reason. Oh yeah, he really wasn't supposed to make it. And then if he made it, okay, he might even be, you know, if he made it, they would have been happy, but he might have been a vegetable. Mm -hmm. But here he comes back fully functional. So even though you have to look at both sides of, okay, his desire, as he mentioned, his need to come back for his younger son based on what he was feeling in that state, but then also all the people in the love that was pulling him back, willing him back, refusing to give up or even think about that this was the end. But I also want to just touch on some of the con- the uh, contrary reviews from other readers of the book. And so we did say that this book was controversial. And I want to get your thoughts on some one of at least a couple reviews. And so we're going to start with the not so positive review. This book should be called a doctor's description of his illness and how his body looked to everyone else. Oops, guess that is too long. Sort of like the book, but too long. I actually was going to give the book one star, but Dr. Alexander went to a lot of effort to tell us about him and his illness and to interview people who told him what his body looked like while he was ill. The little discussion there was of NDE was rather nightmarish. If he was inspired to become a better person after a serious illness, it was because he got a glimpse of hell. Heck. What he saw is making me try to be a better person. 
having read Dr. Kubler-Ross and knowing people who have had NDEs, Dr. Alexander's book does not, just does not offer proof of heaven, quote unquote. Don't waste your time. Life is too short and don't waste your money. So that's one review. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. What, what's your reaction to that? I think he did describe the NDE. I think he, I mean, he was very descriptive of the earthworm's eye view. I mean, he mm-hmm. talked about when he was first there, he talked about the initial panic. He talked about what he, the images that he saw that were distorted. He talked about how he felt. He talked about the gateway. Uh, he talked about that experience. He talked about the core. I mean, I, he was very, you know, I, maybe the, the reader was disappointed because I guess he expected an, a fiction writer. I mean, this is a doctor. <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah. Usually, what do we complain about sometimes? Uh, the, the, the stereotype that doctors have no bedside manner. Like they're very like cut and dry. You know, mm-hmm. um, he, he, he wrote this book. I mean, maybe they were just frustrated because, I mean, the way we want to see NDs, at least for me, is like that we're connected. It's very confronting to think that he was leaving and nobody in his family or even the family, like his dad, nobody that passed away or was current. They were like not in their, his life anymore. And mm-hmm. that's not warm and fuzzy. That's like, what the heck? That's, true. that's not, that's not what any of us hope. We hope that we get to see our dog from our childhood. And <laughs> yes, were, but, you know, but there you was know. one thing that he did mention though, the girl on the butterfly wing. Right. His his sister. <laughs> right. He talks about how Karen had given him a, book, uh, a portrait of a picture of his sister who passed away. And she, when he alluded to the fact that that was the girl on the butterfly wing, the mm-hmm. image of God, who was also in Ohm, who was interconnected with everything there in the core. Um, yeah. And so that was someone that he never met before. And that, but yet that was someone he wanted to meet so badly. And here mm-hmm. she was, and here she was telling him, it's going to be okay. You're going to wow. come back. This is what it is. This is, you know what I mean? She was his guide. And then yeah. he felt that she brought, she came back with him a little bit. Do you know? Like God came back, like that uh, God brought himself back. And that's why he felt like he's so um, at peace. Right. Well, I think though that when I was reading that, the only thing that kind of bothered me, and I think, and listen, it's probably because he's being completely honest with the way he's feeling. He doesn't work too hard to convince you. So it's almost like when I was reading that, and he was like, I think it was her, but she didn't have the wings, you know, and it wasn't (laughs) like this, this like, it was her. And you know, like when, when he, and that's because he's probably being truthful and not being dramatic. But like the reader then is like, is he guessing? Because the way he, the way he wrote it to me is not as compelling because he's not like this salesperson. Yeah, it's funny because he did bring up like the the stories that he hears about the little girl who was talking about how her brother, when she had her NDE experience, she was, she had a brother with her. She was like, I don't have a brother. So that's weird. And the dad was like, actually, you did have a brother. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. And he talks about the man with the hat, the the dad with the yellow hat, the the little girl talks about her father. The mother never brought that up. And so you're right. So when he alludes to the sister, he's like, well, uh, I think it's her. Kind of a sister. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he's not as sure as everyone else is. And that to me, I, I think makes it more authentic to me. So, right. It could be, but it also could be like to the reader, like, really? Yeah, true, true. <laughs> well, let's, let's hear what a, a reader thinks who actually gave it five stars. 
I read this book because I know these people in it. I worked at Lynchburg General during this time. I've read my share of books about the afterlife and NDEs. Having said that, I do not believe that this book is like any of the others that I've read. I have seen a lot of very ill-tempered comments and reviews about this book, but many of which seem to seek to tear down the character or intent of the author. In my opinion, that is unfair and not a review of the book. I did not find anything wrong with it. I believe that Dr. Alexander only sought to tell his story. I do not believe that he intended to try and coax anyone into adopting his personal beliefs. If you want to see the thoughts of a physician who experienced the strangest and most significant thing in his life and what conclusions he came to, then this is a great book. If you're not interested in a simple factual account of his experience, or if you think he should add a lot of flash and trash to make the book more marketable, then this is not for you. That's exactly what I was saying. I guess not exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how I personally feel about it, but I definitely think that he, like, I think Barbara was so right. Like he's writing it like a doctor. He didn't try to put bedside manner there. He just told a story. It's not as flashy. No, it's definitely not as as, uh, poetic. We don't have the soap opera drama. (laughs) Even the poem, like if he was really trying to write this epic novel, right? And he was presenting a picture of his sister that passed away, right? And this poem, would you not pick a, a less hokey poem? Like it was cute, but it wasn't like this. It was sweet. But like, I could totally see my daughters who are, smarter than me being like, really, I could write a better poem than that. You know, like, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and it's because he didn't, he just was being earned. I think he was being earnest. Well, one of the observations that was apparent in the book was the whole time he's trying to, as he's, as he's explaining his experience of the near death, the situation that he's gone through, he's comparing it to elements throughout his life, events and people throughout his life. What is your thought of him always comparing something to something? What's your thought about that? I think that's how he just approaches life. I, um, like, you know, as a doctor, they're all about, uh, you know, I mean, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going off of observation. He could be used to statistics. He could be used to looking through like medical journals. He talks about how many people survive meningitis, bacterial meningitis as a uh, he's always talking about, well, when this person had it, this is what happens to them. Or when they have it, this is what happens to them. When somebody's this sick, this is what happens to them. So it sounds like he's always comparing. Even when he, we talked about the, uh, even when he's talked about, excuse me, the um, coming back from that spiritual world into his body, he compares that to being like a, a, a space shuttle, having to fix this trajectory to land properly, to pass through the atmosphere, to land on Earth. And when he woke up, he, he compares that to like when he wakes up and all he talks about is airplanes and he talks about jumping out of airplanes and, and he, he brings that all together. Like the beginning of the book, he talks about how exhilarating it was to jump out of airplanes. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I could, ladies, I honestly thought that he was going to end up like the shoot didn't, didn't, didn't open. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. Yeah. No, that was- that's what I was waiting for. I was like, oh, is this was going to happen? He's going to be yeah. in that type of accident? But he doesn't. So then I was, as I was reading the book, I'm like, why did he even bring that up? Like, what Yeah, was I still don't really know why he talked so much about his, his earlier years of, of flying, because it never really connected, did it? Well, well you know why he did it. Because it, he talks about his earlier years of flying. Then he talks about how his dad was an, air, was an airline pilot, and then his uncle, and then his uncle-in-law. And then... He brings it all back to how he was constantly taught when he came out of it. He was constantly talking about airplanes and air jumping and all that. And then 
the last thing that, or at least what I remember the last time you mentioned it is comparing spirit coming in to aircraft or, so, or the spaceship. Oh, okay, I see, coming. I see. You know, I, okay. I'm thinking that's why he kept bringing it up. You know, uh-huh. in his doctor mind. Well, I saw the, at least a skydiving story that opened the book was his observation of how miraculous the brain is and how much there is that we don't know about ourselves and our abilities and, and yeah, the that's right. That's right. You're right. I mean, yeah. in, there was a small window within a fraction of a time that he had to make a decision and move a certain way to not kill himself and the other person. Um, right. To die. They would have died for sure. Yeah. And there was no time to think, but he just acted. And it was, mm-hmm. That small window and that small space of that perfect timing saved both of their lives. And so the question is, we think we know, at least with what I took from it, we think we know all there is to know about our abilities and our brain. But do we? Like, how do you explain that in terms of how he was able to survive that you know, that, that situation? So I think it was sort of just leading us into opening our minds about the possibilities of how miraculous we are, life is, how much do we know or don't know about... Well, and didn't he say something about, there's a, I think it was at the end, something about there's a point now that you can, like a way he can meditate where he feels like he can almost go to that realm again, which mm-hmm. ties into like brain being able to do so many things we have no idea that it can do, which yeah. honestly then makes me even more suspicious for <laughs> the whole thing because that means that in theory, we don't know enough. And in theory, he wasn't necessarily quote unquote dreaming, but, but there was another part of his brain that we don't know yet functions in certain states that could have been thinking of all that, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are all really good points. And mm-hmm. another observation, which reminds me a little bit about the first book, the alchemist that we had talked about on our first show is the whole theme of what is our purpose? I think this is something that he was trying to figure out or he didn't know, which created all these other actions and reactions in his life. What is your thought about his journey of finding his purpose in life or not being or finding his purpose in life? What, what do you think about that observation? I think that he was just very unhappy for a very long time. I don't think he was ever like it was uh, one thing his son has said that there was a change in him. He was present. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. think he mm-hmm. lived a very good life, but he wasn't really li- like he. No, he did say that he enjoyed things in his life, but was he really present, or was mm-hmm. he just doing what he felt that he should be doing? Like you going know? through the motions, being on the hamster wheel, like an autopilot yeah. almost. Exactly, yeah. and like now, I think he feels like, wow, now I have purpose. Now I'm here. Now I, you know what I mean. Like now I can. Now I feel like I'm not walking in my, in my, in my dad's footsteps anymore. I'm walking in my own. Yeah. So let's just touch on that comment you made about his son saying he was present. This makes me just think back to the other day. So how many times have we just come in and cook dinner? We need to cook dinner because obviously we have to eat. And if the arrangement is that we're cooking dinner, we just do it. What's quick? What's available? What do we have here? Okay, boom, boom, boom. I've done this meal before. I know it works. Boom, boom, boom. 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later, dinner's on the table. Right. And did we even like pay attention to the process or were we just in autopilot 
So I, the other day, I haven't cooked, you know, I'm from Jamaica and I haven't cooked like authentic Jamaican, uh, authentic Jamaican dinner in, I don't know, weeks, maybe even months at that point. And a friend of mine was just reminiscing. She was like, oh no, but I remember the last time I was with you, you know, I had this, that, that. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to the store, try to find, because there's not a lot of Jamaican groceries where I live. <laughs> I'm going to find as many of the ingredients as I can. And I'm going to cook a meal that I have not cooked in a long time with as many authentic spices as I can from a recipe that I've had when I was a kid. And I paid attention to every moment of preparing that meal and every dish that I prepared. I think I cooked four or five dishes and truly enjoyed it. And everyone could not stop talking about the dinner. And it wasn't like the other dinners were not as tasty or delicious, but I think there's a difference with the output when you really do put your, what they put your foot in it, put your love in it, you put your attention to it. And it's not just, oh, I'm cooking dinner. Let me just hurry up and get something on the table. But it's like, I am enjoying every moment of this experience. And I think it, it does, it, I don't know, for some reason, I think whoever's receiving that thing, whatever it is, or let's say the meal in this example, that they actually feel that on some level. Well, and it could be that he was just, he is smart. He's a doctor. He understands when they tell him what was wrong. He understands the miracle of him surviving that. So you could say that that alone would make people be more present, like the mm-hmm. miracle of living. Like, oh That's my true. God, I, I'm alive. Like, this is crazy. And, and more appreciative of everything. I mean, here he has all these people at his side. And it could have been just that awakening of, well, I could not be here. And also as far as what he, no, I'm not saying he didn't see these things, but he also like had been looking for meaning. And then he sees these things and, and it's like a combination of like, sometimes there are authentic religious people. And then there are people that are religious, but they become religious because they're, they need something, right? They're like, yeah. yep. uh-huh. they're, and you're like, really? And sometimes those people bother me sometimes. I mean, you know, they do whatever they want to do, but like, I'm like, and especially if they're push it on you, like it's, it's almost like it's there to save you, which is fine, but it's not authentic because it's for, it's like to get somewhere. Right. And uh-huh. so, Maybe it was just like he totally realized how lucky he was. And also he's been looking his whole life for something. And Mm. this was something that resonated with him. Like finally had that aha moment. But I still don't know. I don't know. How do you guys, do you think, I mean, Nova, you've had those experiences. If I wish I would have one of those. So I'd be like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. (laughs) But it hasn't. Um, (laughs) How do you guys feel about that? Like, do you think like it really happened? I first came across this book some years ago, probably closer to its publishing date. And it did make me question, um, you know, I grew up in traditional Christian churches and this was just something that wasn't talked about, at least in my, uh, in my life um, Mm -hmm. experience, in my circles, it just wasn't anything that was talked about, but it was a topic that I was curious enough about to find this book and read it. And it really made me stop and think. And I, and I do appreciate the fact that it was a physician, a scientist, a neuroscientist even, and not taking away from anyone else who's had this experience. And it's not from the sciences, but I studied, I have a master's in clinical psychology. I was a bio major um, in undergrad. So for me, it made me just knowing his background, maybe just take a moment to 
be more open. And, and I mean, I'm definitely more open just to put it out there for as much as I'm like, not sure I'm 100% going to look at it more. And so if, if anything, he did that for me, I'm going to research more. I'm going to read about it more. So I, I'm appreciative to that. Yeah. And so, you know, I've read some of the controversies and does some of the decisions he made in his past affect what he says happened in his near-death experience? I think they're, they're not related. I think we go through life, we make decisions that they're not all the best decisions, but for him to have the courage to write a story that could completely discredit all of his years of research. That's true. That's true. Um, made me appreciate him sharing that story. And I, to be honest, when I first read the story, I did not know what to think, but it, it made me want to look further into it. And it made me want to ask more questions. And I do believe there's a lot that we don't know. And over the years since then, I have grown in my appreciation of respecting other people's truths and being open to listen to it and see what of that resonates as opposed to, ah, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it a dream? I don't know. This is the first time I'm actually thinking about that. Like, hmm, dimensions. That's even more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Was it another dimension? Was it a dream? I have very, very vivid active dreams and I would never call any of them near-death experiences. So Uh I, they're very, very real when I'm there. They, sometimes I wake up with a physical response to the dream and they're extremely detailed. They're very cinematic, but I can't. So for me to say, is it, was it a dream? I have a very detailed, memorable dreams, but I think he would know the difference of a dream versus a near-death experience as a scientist. (laughs) And so then it's, then the question is, okay, he wrote this story for a reason. What is the message I'm taking out of it? Because this could be a fictional story for all we know. Yeah. What is? What can I learn from it? What questions do I need to start asking? And I think that's the bigger point of this. Mm-hmm. You know, can mm-hmm. we? Yeah, we could tear and tear them down, and then, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I agree. To answer your question, based on my own sort of mystical quote unquote experience, I do believe this is what happened to him. I do believe this is a truth. You know, the second time around reading the book, the first time around, I was extremely curious and I wanted to learn more, but it made me stop and think about past experiences that I was like, I always had a question mark about, but never really spoke about. And mm-hmm. so I applaud him for his courage of sharing the story, regardless of its fact or fiction. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love the question you brought up about dimension. So now I'm like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, me too. Because um, yeah. for me, I, I believe him. I believe him because... As a Christian, God does things to, for like he, he puts himself in people's dreams. He puts himself, he gives people visions. So like Paul, Saul at the time, he saw, he had his own vision that was life-changing for him. And he sought out to try to see if he can make as many people um, Christian as possible based on, on his vision, on his experience. You think about all the different, or you look at the Old Testament and you look at all the prophets David was constantly seeing seeing visions of God and wrote about different things uh, that were going to happen, quote, and possibly happen in the future. But I, I do, I do believe. Him. I, do, I don't think he has any reason to lie. I think I think that he truly he. I think he has more to lose talking about this in a scientific sense in a medical world where everything is, like I said, so very hands on, very like everything has to be touched and felt. And I think he believes that science. And spirituality can are one, and I think that he he tries to 
to convey that in the book. But then at the same time, I also believe that he, that our minds are so powerful. I believe our minds are so powerful. That's my point. Our minds hold, I believe our minds hold our, 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 you know how everybody says the soul is in your heart. I believe our soul, our essence is in our mind. Yeah. And, and I believe that his, his essence, his soul, his spirit left his body. I do believe that to allow his body to heal. And I think it either it went, and I think God was like, you know what? Your people love you so much. I'm going to show you something based on, because of that love. I want to show you what they're feeling. Like, cause he's always comparing, like you said, he's always comparing. This is what sadness felt like. This is what happiness felt like. And I think, I think it, that God was like, I want you to see the love, the, the agape love, the true love that I feel for you, for you guys as to why I gave, I'm going into Christianity, Christian beliefs, Jesus to you. I want you to feel that. And then when you go back, I want you to tell that because I think more and more people are losing their sense of spirituality. And I think that he was one of the very, very, very few that was blessed to be able to tell us, hey, look, there's something else out there. Like he's not going to give us all that because then we're none of like he said, no one's going to want to stay on earth when they know how awesome it's going to be. I know. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. That was the craziest thing. That was one of the moments where I was like, oh, that does make sense. Where there was a part, it was kind of in the middle of the book. And he was saying like, the reason I think God was saying to him or, or one of the one one of the experiences he was having was we can't have people know this because if they know how good it is, once you experience this small journey, which our life is like a very tiny part of our journey, you would never want to be here. You'd be like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm ready to jump ship and go to the next part. Mm-hmm. So we can't really officially like we can talk about how it may or may not be true. And other people have these experiences, but it's not officially fact. And he was saying like the reason why it's not officially, officially, absolutely fact. And we can, you know, we can question it is because if it was, people would just jump off and go to the next realm. Exactly. Like, you know, like why, why am I going to live on earth and be, and, and be in pain when I could live in heaven and be happy for that? You know, live in this pure joy, like the pure, like he said, what he said, it all boils down to love. And it was just, that love was so intense for him. Like he, I think that's another thing. He came back and was like, oh, smack. Like he brought up his sisters. I think he really realized that this love that they have is probably the closest thing to the love that I experienced in this other, in this, in, in heaven or in this other realm. And um, I really, I do believe him. I believe that uh, God chose him because he's a, he has that medical background that he's, like he's, nobody would, Nobody would peg him to be the kind of person that would come back and write this. You know what I mean? And I think he tried to be, tried to give us a, the most pragmatic view of what an NED was, what the afterlife was, what heaven was. Yeah, um, but well, how do we rationalize not, how do we rationalize that we would, that we would have an afterlife that would not consist of people that we hope to see? Like, it's kind of disappointing. I've always thought it, if it was actually true. And I was surprised at the end of the day, I was like, Oh my God. No, the Bible does say the Bible does mention that when you do get to heaven, that every earthly relationship, every earthly connection is that's that, that stays on earth. Like you're in heaven. You're, you're so blissfully happy that you're not thinking about anybody. You know, you're not, you're not going to miss anyone. Right. No, I know. But it's just so hard to it makes more sense because it makes things more simple, because if we really were hanging on to everybody, it would be too 
it would be too complicated really. But, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we still it, usually think that we're going to see this person. That's, that's what, that's kind of how the story is like, Oh, I'm going to, when I pass on, I'm going to get to see all the people that I had to say goodbye to, which realistically probably doesn't make sense, but it's the way we, we converse. So yeah, I just think crazy ladies. And I think I want to kind of touch more into his life and look at some of his YouTube videos because he never really mentions Jesus. Like, you know, when I think when I, based on my studies, my studies of the Bible, Jesus tells everyone in order to get to heaven, you need to accept me in your life. You need to practice. You need to preach the good news. You need to tell everybody you need to accept my Lord and Savior, carry the cross, all of these different things. He not one time mentions that. He doesn't mention that. He doesn't say, he talks about heaven, but he doesn't really tell us how to get there. He doesn't doesn't say, hey, there's going to be a, you know, he, he talks about that earthly the earthworms I view, which I connect that to purgatory. I don't necessarily, yeah. I think that's purgatory. I don't think we necessarily have a hell yet because based on like for, for biblical, what I study from the Bible, but I, it's so crazy to me that even the purgatory is not the, not fun, but then he doesn't say how do we get out of purgatory? How do we, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he doesn't say any of those things. Like he kind of leaves it up to us in the book to figure that out. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. I don't know. He does. You're right. Someone that's very, very religious would probably maybe be confronted with that. And he's not religious. And that's why I believe him because he's, he, (laughs) he doesn't really bring that up. He doesn't really talk about it. He's, I guess this is the most scientific approach to an MDE that you can get. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I thought it was really cool. I mean, I'm definitely going to look at more of this because I think it's super interesting. So that if anything, like somebody like me, that that's, that's an opening mm-hmm. for dialogue, which is really great. And that's what a lot of these books have done is, I mean, ever since we read the alchemist, I'm always like, Oh, is that an omen? Is that an omen? Yeah. Yeah. And like letting it unfold and then you can always decide, no, it wasn't, but being more open. So, mm-hmm. uh, I love, I love these books, ladies. Thank you so much. Yeah, those awesome books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Toby and Barbara, for yeah. your insight and thoughts on the proof of heaven. I hope you listeners really enjoyed our discussion. Please check out the book. Just be open and tell us what you think. Fact or fiction? Was it a dream? A dimension? Another dimension? We'd love to hear from you. Check out our pink kangaroo. That's kangaroo with a U on Instagram and DM us. Tell us what you think. Tell us what books you would like us to bring to the book club. Again, we have the first 100 years with the Delaney sisters as our next book. And Having our say. Book. Having our say. The first 100 years. Remember that. Thank you. Thank you. Having our that. say. The first 100 years by the Delaney sisters. So again, having our say the first 100 years by the Delaney sisters, definitely go and pick that up, guys. You don't want to miss Great that. Show. Yeah. And then we have Neverwhere, completely different. We're going to enjoy that as well. Again, these are all books that are on our, that we're going to learn from. We're going to talk about, we're going to be more open about on our journey of growth, but we'd love to hear from you. And what else? We have a new show every two weeks. Don't miss out. Anything else, ladies? Am I missing anything? Nope. See you next time. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Yes. Until next time on Tuesday's Book Club. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.